How do you make the invisible visible? <coughs> Excuse me. How do you make the invisible visible? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3, and while you're turning there, let me give you an illustration from science. Now, don't worry, this is elementary science, okay? This is the science that I learned when I was just a kid. When scientists want to measure something that they cannot see, when they want to measure an invisible force, for example, what they will use are the things they can see, and they will see how the invisible affects the visible. So I have here today a simple refrigerator magnet. Now this, it's stronger than it looks because I had a hard time getting this off the fridge, okay? But this is a simple, we, you know, we just moved. Uh, we're still unpacking. I could not find my stronger, larger magnet, but I thought, you know what, this, this will be just fine. This is just a very thin little magnet coated in plastic, and yet there is a power emanating from this little magnet. You can't see it until I take a few nails and a few screws and a paper clip, and all of a sudden, the power is revealed. Now, you can't see the magnetism, but you can see how things are affected by the magnetism. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3. He's speaking to a man named Nicodemus, a rabbi, one of the great teachers. In fact, uh, context seems to indicate that he was sort of the premier rabbi in that time in the city. And uh, he comes to Jesus and he says, we know that you're from God. No man can do these miracles that they're doing except God be with him. And Jesus, verse 3, answered and said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born? Some of you uh, didn't know, Nicodemus uh, was also a part-time stand-up comedian. And uh, on singles night down at the uh, bazaar, he would uh, try his stand-up comedy. Now, I don't know, I don't know how large Nicodemus' mom was, okay? Or how small, but obviously he's trying to tell a joke here. Jesus, are you saying that I'm supposed to climb back up into my mother and come back out? Now, don't send me a message this week or an email saying, well, that, that was kind of offensive. I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate that joke. I'm just reading the joke, okay? I didn't write it. I'm just, I'm just the human highlighter here. Just pointing out that Nicodemus is trying to be funny, which is how sometimes we react when God says something difficult for us to understand, sometimes our defense mechanism comes up in its humor and we just try to make a joke out of it. Jesus, you're saying that I need to literally be born again out of my mother's womb. What are you talking about? Jesus says, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto ye, ye must be born again. Now notice verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So you're sitting at home, and all of a sudden you hear this sound outside. 
You're like, I hope that's the wind. <laughs> I hope that's not something that's, that's wrong in the house. You look out the window. You see the trees. You see maybe them flapping. You see maybe them bending if it's really blowing hard. Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We never see the Holy Spirit. But we should see the effect of the Holy Spirit, just like the magnet exposes its power when there's metal nearby. So also, those of us who are truly saved, truly born again, we've truly trusted in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for our forgiveness of sins. We've trusted that He died on the cross for our sins, that He paid the debt, that He rose again victorious. We've admitted we're sinners. We've received that amazing grace that he extends to us that we simply can receive by faith we don't receive it uh, by works you can't paul says you can't receive it if it's works it's not grace Amen. it's not it's not both and it's either or so we receive that by faith trusting in jesus his death his resurrection as the sole sufficient payment for our sin we are born again and if that is true of you you can't see the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but you should be able, just as you see the effects of the wind, you should be able to see the effects of the Holy Spirit moving through your life. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're talking about being an example. Living your life as an example. And let me remind you that people are watching you. I know they're watching uh, me, not just because I'm up here on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Well, Pastor Nick's been doing Wednesday nights, so appreciate that. Hope that you come out on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's a great time of prayer together and studying God's Word. But not just because I'm up here. I know they're watching me because I'm watching them. I watch people. I've sat in a restaurant with my wife. There's a lull in the conversation. You start to listen to the person behind you. They're a little loud. They're a little animated. You want to see what's going on. People are watching you. And if people are watching you, that means that it's very important that we recognize that we are a witness, that we are living as an example of something. All of us have a pattern, a, a way of living, and it's critical that we live as a good pattern, as an, as an example. We live an exceptional life. And as we saw last week, if we're going to earn respect and overcome prejudice, whatever that prejudice may be, for Timothy it was his age, but there are many kinds of prejudice that we face. The solution to that is not to burn down the house or curse people out. Why aren't you giving me the respect that I deserve? Why are you treating me this way? The response, the biblical response, the Christ-like response is to be an example to live my life as a Christ-like example. This word example is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read that verse again. Uh, 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, which means lifestyle, in charity or, or love. The word is agape. In spirit, in faith, in purity. The word example is the word typos. We get our word typewriter. Uh, the word type is from this Greek word. 
And it literally means a model forged by repetition. It speaks of the pattern of our lives. Not just the high points. What is the pattern of your life? What does a normal day look like for you? What is a normal week, a normal month? This has not been a normal time of year for any of us. This has not been a normal season for any of us, okay? Uh, With all that's going on in the world right now, this is not normal. But what is normal for you? Not the low points of your life, but what is the normal pattern of your life? We are all living a lifestyle. We all have a pattern. We all have habits. We all have a way that we do things. Is it a Christ-like way? Is it an example of Jesus Christ? Now, last week we said, I must start with my mouth. Your tongue is not the best way to judge your holiness, your level of spiritual maturity, but the tongue, the mouth, is often the fastest way to tell if somebody is sick. Just like when I was young, my mom used to stick a thermometer under my tongue, tell me to hold it, don't bite down, DJ, don't bite down. Hold it there. Hold it, DJ. Sit still for a minute. You know, I, uh, I guess I uh, know where my son got his fidgeting from. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a hard time keeping that thermometer in my mouth. But uh, you want to see if there's a temperature. Now, just because there's not a temperature doesn't mean there's not something that's wrong. But if you get a temperature, you know that's a very quick way. It's not always the best way, but it's a fast way to know that there's something going on inside of you. And the speech of our tongue is the same way. We don't necessarily uh, um, always reflect what's inside of us by what we say. We're sometimes very careful depending on who we're around. But eventually what we think is going to come out. So we start with our mouth. We saw that we must also practice what we preach. And then we talked last week about love. I must love uh, others sacrificially like Jesus. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Uh, This is how love was manifested to us, that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. And John says, as Jesus died for us, as he sacrificed himself for us, so we also ought to sacrifice our time for others, sacrifice our resources for others, sacrifice our skills for others, sacrifice our wants and our desires. Uh, We should love sacrificially. And then we saw last week also from Romans chapter 12, we must also love sincerely or, as Paul says, uh, without dissimulation which literally means without hypocrisy. I must not love hypocritically. I must abhor what is evil. It's, it's not loving to reinforce someone's lies that they're believing. If someone is, is believing a lie, living a lie, it's, it's not loving to reinforce that just so that they'll like you, just so that they'll make you feel good because of how much they appreciate what you said. If it's not true, it's not helpful. You don't want to go to a doctor who's not going to tell you the truth, who's going to be more worried about your feelings than your future. Okay, get get a new doctor if you have a doctor that's that worried about your feelings, that they're not going to tell you what's really wrong. And we, as the light of the world, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. If we really love people, we'll want them to know the truth and not just want them to feel good. Because... I'm really more concerned about how you feel a million years from now than about how you feel today. If I love you, I'll be more concerned with how you feel 10 billion years from now than how you feel this afternoon. So we have to be truthful. We have to abhor what is evil, cleave to what is good. Otherwise, we are not loving 
Christ-like, we are loving with a satanic kind of false, self-righteous love. Now, those are the first three areas that Paul lays out for us. Those are simple to understand. Now, simple is not easy, all right? Simple is simple, but simple is not easy. Back, um, I guess it was 14 years ago, I used to be 70 pounds heavier than I am today. And uh, I lost a bunch of weight the first time uh, by, by running, and uh, just I got to a point where I realized, you know, I just can't live this way. I'm, I'm going to... I just can't live the same way anymore. So um, I stopped, you know, for me, I was eating my feelings and I just was, I had no discipline and I lived by myself, which was not an excuse, but, you know, I was just, I didn't want to work at it. So it was just easier to get a pizza. All right. But there's, there's a price to that too. There's a price, you, there's a price for whatever you do. So it just depends on what price you want to pay. So I eventually, I lost a bunch of weight and then I gained some of it back. But uh, two years ago, I decided, man, I got to get, get down. I got to try to get down to where I was before. And uh, I, I just couldn't get it done. I, got, got, I lost about five pounds in three months, and I, was working, I thought I was working really hard. And then two years ago, we had some blood work done. And my blood work uh, was not great. And now, I just had blood work done this, this week. Uh, thank, praise the Lord. It was all good. Everything's good. My wife gave me the thumbs up, and uh, that's what really matters most, right? If she's, if she's happy, I'm happy. So uh, praise the Lord that everything is, is going good. But two years ago, I got scared because I had, uh, just the year before, I'd lost a, uh, one of my best friends who had just died, just like he was out training for the Chicago Marathon, and he didn't run home that day. He was in the arms of Jesus. And so I got scared. I thought, man, I, you know, I got a, I got a one-year-old son. And I've got a wife, and, and i got to take care of this. And so um, my wife said, you're going to use the uh, Under Armour Fitness app. That's a little commercial for the Under Armour Fitness app. So you're going to use this app, and you're going to track everything you eat. And, you're gonna, and it's, listen, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard to do. But it's simple. Losing weight is simple. If you eat the right foods in the right amounts, if you hydrate, if you stay minimally active, and if you get enough sleep, which for most of us is seven hours, seven, eight hours a night, if you do those four things, if there's not another medical condition going on, if you're not on some kind of medication that, you know, like a steroid or something that's, that's causing problems, if you do those four things, it's very simple. You don't need to line your bookshelves with dieting books and all that. If you do those four things, very simple. Your body will find a healthy weight and maintain it. That's just how God designed this. Okay. But it's hard. It is extremely hard. And I couldn't do it by myself. And I had to get scared. For me, I had to get scared before I would do something about it. So the three things that we talked about, easy, simple. Watch your mouth. Practice what you preach. Love sacrificially. Right? We know what it feels like to, when somebody sacrifices for us, when somebody loves us sincerely. It's very simple to understand, very hard to do. Now, these last three things are not easy to do either, but they're also a little more difficult to understand. So rather than try to do the, 
you know, we did the first three in one week. Rather than trying to do the, the last three in, in another week, we're going to slow down a little bit and we're going to take, take these three things individually. Because how do you really see someone's spirit? If I am to set an example in spirit, how do you see that? I can't see your spirit. I can't even see my own spirit. I look in the mirror, I don't see my spirit. How do you see that? Well, it's the same as the magnet. What is affected shows the invisible force that is active. And so also, if my spirit is active, if I've been saved, and my spirit is active, then there should be some effects in the visible world, in the things that you can see in my life, that will show that my spirit is an example, is setting an example that you can follow. So these are less obvious in how they're accomplished, but that's part of why Paul says in, in verse 15, Timothy, you're going to have to meditate on these things. All right? So I'm going to give you some, uh, some scripture this morning, and, and we're going to unpack it with the time that we have. You're going to have to though, meditate on this yourself. You're going to have to do some thinking about this. How does this apply to my life? How am I going to live this out? How am I going to flesh this out? So I can help get you started by showing you what Paul says to Timothy, uh, but you're going to need, as Paul says to Timothy, you're going to need to meditate. You're going to need to do some thinking about this. So what does it mean to be an example in spirit? Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul reveals something very important to us. And let me just go ahead and say that not all theologians agree on this, but I'm just going to stick with what Paul says. Now, I, I've, I know I was just reading, I saw somebody yesterday on, online, they were saying, well, that's not really what Paul meant. Well, let's just stick with what Paul said, okay? And let's, let's worry about what Paul meant after we've already convinced of what he said. Paul says we are a three-part being. Yet you are made up of three parts. You have a body, the Greek word is soma. You have a soul or a mind, the Greek word is suke, or sometimes it's uh, written as psyche. All right, so when you, when you say something is psychosomatic, you've probably heard that term. Something is psychosomatic. It's your mind affecting your body. Uh, that's the Greek words there, soma, psyche. And then the word for spirit is pneuma. Now, sometimes it's difficult to translate pneuma because if there's not a definite article, the pneuma, when it's the pneuma, we know it's talking about him, the Holy Spirit, God, God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it, we have to look at the context to know whether it's talking about our human spirit or the Holy Spirit. But Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Linda, can you go to the next slide? And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, Paul says. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are three parts of you. Now, again, some people want to say, well, the soul and spirit's really just the same thing. They have theological reasons for saying that that I'm not going to go into. But... They're ignoring what Paul clearly says here. 
you are made up of three parts. Now, the best explanation that I ever heard on this was from uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers. And let me just share something that he wrote. Now, this isn't how he said it when I heard him. I heard, I heard him share this at uh, Liberty when I was a student there. But this is uh, from uh, Crosswalk. This was a devotional that they used uh, after he had passed away, but they used something he had previously written uh, last January. And here's what uh, Adrian said. He said, you were created to know three worlds, the spiritual, psychological, and material worlds. These can be considered the world above us, the world within us, and the world around us. These words, worlds are related to the three parts of our human nature, spirit, soul, and body. When you are rightly related to the material world with your body, you are healthy. When you are rightly related to the psychological world with your soul, you are happy. And when you are rightly related to the spiritual world in your spirit, you are holy. Amen. God's aim is that ultimately you are to experience all three realities, health, happiness, and holiness. So we are a three-part being. The problem is, Ephesians 2.1 says that we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, we're, we're all born, uh, all of us here who, who have been born have been born, obviously, with a living body and with a living soul. So the only part of us that could be born dead is our spirit. We are all born spiritually dead. That word dead means lifeless. It means powerless. It means hopeless. Some people think that when Paul says that lost people are dead, that means that they do not have the ability to respond to the gospel. The problem with that is twofold. Number one, there are many other more common terms that Paul and Jesus and others used for those who are lost. Lost is one of them. Amen. Blind, spiritually blind is one of them. And spiritually sick. So a corpse does not get lost. Well, I shouldn't say that because actually <laughs> I was at a funeral once and it was when I was a youth pastor and uh, the body was late to his own funeral. Somebody was late to his own funeral. It wasn't his fault, okay? But he was late to his own funeral. I was up in the sound booth. I didn't have a part of the actual service, but we were getting nervous because it was yeah, he was a, 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 a dentist in the area, well-known. The sanctuary was packed, and he was not there. Uh, but he wasn't really lost, okay? Uh, corpses don't get lost. Uh, they, they're not blind, and they don't get sick anymore. So the, loss, the idea here is not simply that, uh, that people are walking around as spiritual corpses. The idea is that they have no power. They have no life, spiritual life in them. Okay, Now, the other problem with saying that spiritual death means inability at all to respond is if, if someone has, does not have the ability to accept Christ because they're spiritually dead, logically, then they don't have the, spirit, the ability to spiritually reject him either. And the Bible is very clear that people reject Jesus. All, uh, people were rejecting Jesus. So we have the ability. Now, we are powerless, but Romans chapter 1 the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel has the power in itself to speak life to the dead, the spiritually dead. So if you are in Christ, if you have received Christ as your Savior, you receive forgiveness, the spirit within you 
has been born again. John chapter 3 we just read. You are, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creation. Now, what does that mean? It means I have a new spirit. I, I haven't got my new body yet. Still dealing with sciatica sometimes. I'm still dealing with aches and pains. I'm still dealing with, with uh, limited eyesight. I have to wear these glasses. And I'm not used to wearing them. So if you see me fixing my glasses constantly, I apologize. I'm still getting used to wearing these things. I've only been wearing them uh, when I read or when I preach. They're still a little new to me. But I am a new creation on the inside because I have a, my spirit has been regenerated. I have new life inside of me. Now, just as the body and the soul are interwoven... Creating life, we see this in Genesis. God made Adam's body and then he breathed life. He breathed a living soul. He made Adam a living being. I was just talking to my uh, doctor this week, Dr. Livingood, and he was uh, sharing with me. He's a, he's a, a believer and we uh, share um, you know, a like common faith and we like to talk when, when I have appointments and so he was sharing with me the, the mystery of the soul and how the subconscious mind is still a mystery to doctors and scientists. And the conscious brain, uh, we can study that, but there's so much that we don't understand about the unconscious mind. And he was saying how that is indicative of the soul that God has given to us. So a body and a soul are both required living to be a living being. Once your soul leaves, your body is going to go in the ground. So, the body and soul, when they're interwoven, we have life. The spirit and soul are interwoven as well. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the, uh, just like joints and marrow, the soul and the spirit are so closely interwoven that there's only one thing in the world that can really truly distinguish between the soul and the spirit inside of you. And that's the word of God. Amen. It's living, it's active, it's quick and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to pierce, it's able to discern your intentions by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit as he as the master surgeon uses his word to pierce into your heart and to do work on your spirit, to do work in your mind to renew your mind through the Word of God. And when we talk about the soul and spirit together, and I know we're getting a little metaphysical, so just stick with me just for a few more minutes. When we, have, when we talk about the soul and spirit being interwoven, the, the Bible term for that, or where, that, where that's accomplished, where that takes place, the Bible calls that your heart. There are a number of passages that uh, we won't uh, take the time to read this morning, but... Uh, Ezekiel, uh, I'll have these in the notes that will be posted with, uh, um, uh, with the video afterwards if you want to look these up or jot these down right now. Ezekiel uh, chapter, um, if I can find in my notes, there we go. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, Ezekiel 18, 31, Ezekiel 36, 26, uh, Psalm 51, verses 10 and 17, we see this connection between the spirit and the heart. Your spirit is is inside of you, it's in your heart. And if your spirit's in your heart and your soul is interwoven with your spirit, then that means that's where your soul is as well. The heart is really a, a, a theological term that describes that union of spirit and soul. And that's why Ezekiel, in, in Ezekiel, God promises us 
that he's going to create in us a new heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. You can't know it. So God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And it's going to come when your spirit is regenerated inside of you. So I still have a sinful soul, but I have a living spirit. And the Holy Spirit interfaces with my living spirit in ways that I cannot completely explain to you in the time that we have this morning. So, that's the metaphysical, that's the deep, that's the theological. Let's talk about some practical things here as we close. My spirit expresses itself visibly how? How does my spirit express itself visibly so that I can be an example? How how is my spirit moving in my life so that what is visible is showing you a spirit inside of me that you can imitate, that you can model yourself after? Well, we could talk about worship this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. But that's not where Paul focuses his attention. We could talk about boldness, especially as it relates to witnessing and standing for the truth. We'll talk about that, though, next week when we look at faith, because that's really where spirit and faith overlap. But today I want to look at what Paul emphasizes, and that is your spiritual gift. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Whenever you see something in Scripture that it's a little strange, you're not really sure what it means, we look at the context around it, we look at the immediate context, but we also look at the greater context. So, for example, if Paul is saying something to Timothy in 1 Timothy that doesn't quite make sense to us, and we don't find the answer in 1 Timothy, let's look at 2 Timothy, or let's look at other things that Paul wrote. How did Paul use that word, spirit? What does he mean by it? And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, some of you may be using a translation where spirit there is Small s spirit, speaking of your spirit. Some of you have a translation that has capital S spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit. I believe that it is speaking of the Holy Spirit because of what Paul says later on in the chapter, verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So the spirit that he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. But the confusion comes because that's where the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He becomes one with our spirit. He lives inside of our spirit. And so the spirit that he has given us, the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, he's, what, he's who gives life, and his power is what gives life to our spirit, that energizes us, that re regenerates our spirit. And Paul says that when we think of our spirit, we need to think about the gift that God has given us to use. Because just as the wind is blowing through the trees and blowing the debris around, when the Holy Spirit moves inside of us, 
He's going to manifest himself in the gifts that he's given. Now, we talked about spiritual gifts a few weeks ago on a Sunday night. I know many of you weren't able to be part of that. And so let me just do a really quick review for those of you who weren't here. Well, a quick review for those of you who were here. And uh, an update for those of you who weren't able to be here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us that a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit. In fact, keep something, keep a finger in 2 Timothy, and let's jump over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations or ministries, but the same Lord. Verse 6, there are diversities of operations or activities, but it is the same God, the Holy Spirit, which worketh in uh, all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. In other words, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but when you use your spiritual gift, you see the effects of the Spirit. Amen. You see, the, you see the, the trees bending in the wind in your life. You see that sailboat. You see the sail billow, and you see it pick up speed as it sails across the water. You see the effects of the wind. When you use your gift, it's the manifestation. It's how the Spirit becomes visible through you and in your life. So when I talk about being an example in spirit, I want you to set the example. I need to set the example by understanding spiritual gifts. That's what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. It is a manifestation. It's a spiritual empowerment through which the Holy Spirit visibly ministers to the body. And as we saw a few weeks ago, every believer receives some gift, some spiritual gift, at the moment of their salvation. So I need to set the example by understanding my spiritual gift. Number two, I set the example by finding my gift. I have to understand what gifts are, but then I have to find my gift. Now, a couple weeks ago, again, just uh, by way of review for a few of you, we must seek wisdom from God through prayer. So I said a few weeks ago, if you come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, the first question I'm going to ask you, I'm just going to tell you right now, the first question I'm going to ask you is, have you been praying about this? Have you been asking God to show you? Because it's, it's not a treasure hunt, okay? It's not hide and seek. He wants you to know what your gift is. So he will give you the wisdom to know. He will help you understand and see what your gift is, but you need to ask. So have you asked? Have you gotten wise counsel, Proverbs 11, verse 4? Have you gotten wisdom through a multitude of counselors? Have you asked your spouse? Have you asked your, your family, your, your parents, your brother, your sister, people in the church that you know, that, that you trust, that, that you've been around for a while? Ask them what, you, what they think your gift is. But here's what I need you to remember. Whether or not you have your sail set on your boat... God doesn't steer you while you're still docked in harbor. So if you want God to give you direction regarding what your spiritual gift is, you've got to get out of the harbor. Amen. Shed said, a boat at harbor is safe, but that is not what boats are made for. God didn't make you to live a safe life. He made you for the open sea. 
And so here's what Paul says you need to do if you want. He paints a target for us, okay? I want you to think, I want you to think of a target here, three-ring target. Some of you shoot targets, so this is real easy for you. We want to hit the bullseye, right? You want to hit the bullseye. So here's how we get closer and closer to the bullseye. Paul says there are activities, there are ministries, but what we're really aiming for is our spiritual gift. So here's the target. Get involved in the activities of the church. You're not going to find your spiritual gift if you're not involved. Now, I understand right now we don't have a lot of activities going on, okay? I understand that this is, but this is, we need to prepare for when we, when we do get through this. We will get through this. Amen. So let's prepare for when we do get through this, that, hey, when things start to activate again, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, try. I know for some of us that's harder than others because some of you are extroverts and some of you are not. And so it's harder for you. But make the, get involved in the activities, of the church. When you get involved in the activities, you're going to see that there are various ministries, and hopefully there's a ministry that you might be able to get involved in. As you get involved in the ministries, as you're actively serving in ministry, I promise you, you will find your gift. And you won't need to name it. Other people will find it for you, and they will name it for you, right? I said a few weeks ago, um, Pastor Floyd Reinhardt, some of you know Pastor Floyd, uh, gift of encouragement. When I need encouragement, I go to Pastor Floyd, right? I go to my wife, of course. I go to my family. But when I need more than that, I go to Pastor Floyd because that's his gift. People don't, he doesn't need to tell people. He doesn't need to put a sign up on his door. Hey, I have the gift of encouragement because he's been active in church. He's been involved in ministry and people know what his gift is. So if you get involved in ministry, people are going to ask you. If you have the gift of leadership, people are going to ask you to lead. If you have the gift of administration, people are going to ask you to administer. If you have the gift of mercy, people are going to come to you when they need mercy, when they need help. But you have to be active, and you have to be involved, and you have to be connected. You have to be involved in ministry. So find your gift. Set the example by understanding what a gift is. Set the example by finding your gift. And then set the example by stirring up your gift. Fan it into flame. I don't have a wood burner. At, well, we actually do have a wood burner, but we're not using it at, at the house that we have. Uh, I'm not a big fan of those. I, I house sat for some friends who had a wood burner in their house, and I almost burned the house down twice. Okay. Um, they never asked me to house sit again. I said, it's amazing. I don't uh, No, I, I, I clogged that chimney a couple times. I learned things about wood and about what to do and what not to do. Um, Praise the Lord, the house was, is fine. It's still standing to this day. But I'm not, I'm not into that. That's a lot of work for me, a lot of danger for me. I got burned, you know, minor, a couple times. But I understand if you want to keep the, it's a lot easier to keep something going than to start it from scratch. A lot easier to keep a fire going. But you got to fan it. you got to stir it. you got to work it. you got to keep throwing logs on the fire. And Paul says, Timothy... You've got to stir up your gift. Now, I love that Paul doesn't tell us what this gift is. We can debate it. We're not going to, we don't have time to do that today. We're not going to debate what gift it is. I believe Paul didn't give us the gift because he doesn't want us to think, well, that's just for those people who have that gift. He doesn't give us the gift on purpose. He doesn't name it on purpose because this is something that we all need to do. 
We all have to stir up the gift. We all have to put our, uh, our uh, logs on the fire to keep it going. And that means that this is a responsibility. It's a gift, but it's also a responsibility. There are things that you need to do. You need to develop your gift. You need to maintain it. Don't neglect it, Paul says back in, in chapter uh, 4 of 1 Timothy. Right after he talks about setting the example in spirit, Paul says, Timothy, don't neglect your gift. You're not going to set the example in spirit if you're, if you're neglecting your gift. So don't neglect it. I, and I, you know, I find some comfort in the fact that Timothy, one of the central figures of the first century church, needed to be reminded and encouraged. I hope that this is not sounding like judgment to you. This is hopefully sounding more in, like encouragement to you. Hey, God wants you to use your gift. Amen. He's given you a gift. I know he has. If you're a believer in Christ, you have a gift. We need it. I don't have all the gifts. We have great deacons. They don't have all the gifts. Pastor Nick doesn't have all the gifts. We need all of the body to use the gifts that God has given to you. All right? This is not a top-down organization. It, well, Jesus Christ the top. Jesus Christ the head. The rest of us, we're working together as the body. So we all need to be involved to stir it up. So look for opportunities to use and improve your gift. Redeem the time. Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, right before he talks about being filled with the Spirit, redeem the time. Look for opportunities to use what the Holy Spirit has given to you. Now let me give you these real quickly as we close. Real quickly, four things that Paul says that we need to do or we need to recognize he's given to us, I should say. Okay? We, need to, we need to activate them by realizing God has already given us this. God has not given you the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So let me give you these very quickly. Number one, he will give you the necessary boldness to use your gift. Some of you are not using your gift because you've you got a lot of fear. Well, what if I fail? Well, you're going to fail. Amen. Just, you're going to fail. I said a few weeks ago, if you have the gift of giving, you're going to give to the wrong person. You're going to get burned. Somebody's going to take advantage of you. Don't let that stop you. Keep giving. You have the gift of teaching, you're going to get up and you're going to say something that is not correct. One of the most humbling things I, I, have, I ever have to do is when I get up the next Sunday and say, you know what, last Sunday I said this, but as I was studying, I found out that actually, because it's not true because I say it, it's true because God says it. So you're going to, don't let that keep you from teaching. Amen. Don't let that keep you from administering. You make uh, wrong decisions. Don't let that keep you from using your gift. He will give you the necessary boldness. And its effectiveness is limited, though, by your faith, by your willingness to step out. We'll talk more about faith next week. Number two, he will give you the necessary love. He will give you the necessary love to exercise your spiritual gift. When you walk in this, oh, I'm sorry, skip power. We'll come back to power in a second. Number three, he will give you the necessary love to serve even in the midst of conflict. When we go to Galatians chapter 5, when we go to Galatians chapter 5, we see that the first description of the fruit of the Spirit is love. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm going to be loving. But notice after Paul gives these descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., he says, look, don't, don't envy one another. Don't have conflict with one another. Don't, don't stay in conflict because the reality is we have conflict. We all have conflict because we're all human. We're all, we're all sinners. We're going to have conflict in the church. Don't let that keep you from serving. Amen. I have been burnt. I have been hurt. 
I got to give it to the Lord. I got to keep going because I'm going to stand before him. And I'm, when I stand before Jesus, I can't say, you know what? That deacon hurt my feelings. I've had deacons who have hurt my feelings, not these guys. I love these guys. I'm, but, we're, you know, we're going to have times where we disagree about things eventually. But I can't. I got to keep going. I'm serving him. Amen. I'm not serving for the, for the applause. I'm not serving for the, for the pats on the back. And so there are times when I have to forgive. There's times when I have to keep my mouth shut and not say what I really want to say. There's been times when I've said things that I shouldn't have said, and people have to put up with me. People have to forgive me. People have to love, keep loving me and keep serving with me. I'm not perfect in this. So we have to know that he's given us the power. Uh, he's given us the love in order to serve, even in the midst of conflicts. Now, number two, we'll jump back. He's given us the power. He's not given us a spirit of fear. We have boldness. He's given us the spirit of love. He's also given us the spirit of power. That Greek word power means ability to perform. You have the ability to do whatever God has called you to do. I promise. Amen. If you don't you say, I don't have the power to do that, well, either he hasn't called you to do that, or you really do have the power and you're just not stepping out on faith. Amen. We go back to the boldness. So God will give you the power. Now, it's not gonna, your gift is not going to come fully formed. It's not going to come all put together for you. Right? Like a, a, a set of Legos, you're going to have to do some work getting things figured out, getting the pieces sorted. Uh, God bless Jimmy. Uh, happy birthday, Jimmy. He was here this week helping me put my bookcase together. I could not have done it by myself. And uh, 90 years, almost 91, right before his birthday, he's helping me put uh, my book, bookcase together. I could, it did not come assembled. It, it took a couple hours for us, even working together as a team, to get that put together. Your gift needs to be put together. But he'll give you the power. And then number four, he will give you the necessary sound mind to exercise your gift effectively and faithfully. You say, I'm not there yet. You're, you're not going to be there right away. It's going to take experience. You, you learn more from experience than you do from going to school and sitting in a class. I've learned more about ministry. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for my degree. I'm thankful for what I learned at Liberty and at Lancaster Bible College. And back when I was a student at CCA, I'm very thankful for what I learned. But I've learned way more about ministry actually doing it and learning from the mistakes that I made and the failures than I did from a professor or a book. So the same thing is true. He will give you the sound mind. You're gonna, it's going to take work. It's going to take time. It's going to take thinking, meditate on these things, remember, Paul says. But you will be able to exercise your gift effectively and faithfully. So walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Let's set the example. He's giving you the boldness. He's giving you the power. He's giving you the love. He's giving you the sound mind. Let's walk by faith and let's serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace in using us to accomplish your plans and your work. God, we're so frail, we fail, we get frustrated, we quit, we have to be encouraged to get back on the horse, we have to, God, but God, you are always faithful, you have secured the victory for us, God, help us to walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, using our gifts to serve the body so that the body will grow so that you will be glorified. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.